Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Jeff received a bachelor's degree in psychology from Waynesburg University in 2012. Jeff believes his call of action for today's panel discussion is to give an activist perspective from someone who believes there is more to life than what a particular culture believes they are subjected to do. And finally, we want to welcome Tori Wilson Sr. Tori is the founder of Fresh Corporation based out of McClellantown. Did I pronounce that right? McClellantown, Pennsylvania. The Fresh Corporation, which stands for Fitness, Rich Eating, and Shared Health, is a unique and innovative resource that educates on how to maintain an overall healthy lifestyle for living your best life through clean eating and exercise. Tori earned an associate's degree in liberal arts with a concentration in public health from Bard College in New York. And Tori's call of action for being present on today's panel is to be a genuine and strong voice that represents the black community from the male's perspective. The voice he presents will be relatable and clear in providing understanding to the misunderstandings that causes separation and fears amongst races. Can we please give our panel a a hand today, a welcome hand. Uh, Guys, I just want to say thank you so much for each of you for joining us today. Um, Real quickly, for those of you who are a part of us, I just want to say thank you for joining us today. I see a lot of new faces, which is really exciting to me. Um, This has been a personal journey that I have been on over the last several years, but particularly the last several months, I have just uh, really felt like God has been been dealing with my heart on this topic of racism, uh, particularly between... uh, black culture and white culture in our country. Um, I got to be honest and tell you, I mean, even growing up in the Baltimore, Washington area, which is an incredibly uh, diverse and multi-ethnic area, I was no stranger to growing up with people uh, who were different than me, have different colored skin than I do. But the reality is, at least for my life and perhaps even in your own life, is that what I have found is that most of what I see in my life is compartmentalized to people who are like me. I spend time with people who look like me, people who do the things that I do, people who have the same general socioeconomic status that I do, and so on and so forth. And so what we end up with in our culture, in our, in our, in our country, particularly in the United States, not just in our country, but that's kind of what we're talking about today, is we end up with this highly compartmentalized um, society where each person kind of just only knows what's like them for the most part. And then what happens is, is that when there are other groups of people that particularly are divided primarily by socioeconomic uh, situations that are different than your own, what happens is, is that people like me, who are maybe would be considered to be lower middle class or maybe just middle class individuals, tends to overlook anybody else who lives a different lifestyle of them, particularly those who live in lifestyles and socioeconomic statuses that are below. And then because we live in such a compartmentalized society, you don't see it very often. So it's not every day that I see the plight of poor neighborhoods because I live in Lawrenceville and the most of the people that I see on this street who walk up and down the street look like me. They dress like me. They go to the same coffee shops that I go to. But I am keenly aware, and God has brought it to my attention, that there are people who live one, two streets over from me who live in deplorable conditions that I don't do anything about. In fact, the back-to-school bash that I just mentioned that we do every year, this is our third year, and we have 800 people who come to that back-to-school bash. And then every spring, we also do a, uh, the big hunt, which is our Easter egg hunt. We have about 1,000 people who come to that event. And many of them are from low-income neighborhoods. Many of them are from the black community, and yet we never see them again. They don't come to our church. I don't see them on the streets. I don't see them anywhere. Where are they? And then we see what's happened in our culture. 
We see the, the police brutality and the, the shootings, and we see all of the things that have been happening over the last several weeks um, that are rocking our nation. And I just felt like, and I don't want to steal your guys' time, so i got to like wrap this up here, but what I, I felt like over the last several weeks, particularly the last several months, is I've been listening to podcasts and just trying to say, God, what are you trying to say to me? I felt like God has said, Jared, I want you, with the little bit of influence that I've given you in this church, to begin a conversation with people so that we can bring healing. We can bring reconciliation. And that's not that we have the answers, but it's that we, and here's where it starts. I believe that every single person, according to God's word, has inherent value because they are made in the image of God. And what that means is that every single person, black or white or Asian or Hispanic or any different person or culture, every one of them, whether they're different or not, has value. But when they are mistreated, when they are mistreated for things specifically out of their control, just being born a certain way, looking a certain way or anything, when we mistreat them, God hurts for them. And as people of God, we are called to what's called the ministry of reconciliation. Paul talks about it in the Bible. And so when I heard God speak that to me and said, Jared, I just want you to begin a conversation with your church and with people who are different than us so that we can unite arms and bridge the culture gap. That's the whole point of today is how can we, how can we live out the gospel message of Jesus with people who are hurting and not for any fault of their own. And I'm probably not even articulating this properly, but that's the whole point of today. So I just wanted to welcome these individuals today. We're grateful that you guys are here. And so the whole idea is, is that I have some questions prepared that hopefully will get this conversation going. Uh, we're going to ask honest questions. They're going to give us honest answers. So here's what I would say to you, is if you find yourself, as I often do when topics are difficult, maybe some defensiveness rises up, uncomfortability rises up inside of you, squelch it down and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today because I believe that God's truth of his love for all people is what he wants to come out today. And then we're going to leave this place, hopefully today, having at least an idea of how we can begin this conversation with our black brothers and sisters. There are churches in our community who are predominantly black community churches that we don't have any connection with, that we want to link arms with to change this community for Jesus. So that's kind of the idea of today. So let's go ahead and get this started really quickly. The first question that I had, and uh, we also want to give you guys an opportunity as well. So after we ask a few questions, we'll also have a mic pass around that if anyone has questions, please, we'll have you uh, ask it as well. So maybe let's start with this one. And, and if, I, if I ask a question maybe in a weird way or it doesn't seem to make sense, please feel free to ask for clarification. So what are some subtle and not so subtle ways that you have experienced racism in your life and how has that shaped you? So... I don't know if we have the ability for everybody to talk every time, but like maybe if someone wants to just kind of speak to that, I thought maybe this would be a good idea for us just to start off with. Like, what are some subtle or maybe not so subtle ways that you have experienced racial racism personally? Okay, so I'll I'll give you an example. Um, I was I was in Baltimore. Uh, this was about two years ago. Um, two years ago, I had dreadlocks um, a little bit past my shoulder. Uh, my younger brother also had dreadlocks as well. Um, and we were actually in Baltimore uh, dropping my dad off, um, and I was in an old car, an old 1997 Honda Civic, beat up. I mean, it, I mean, it, it looked terrible. Uh, and so after we had dropped my dad off, um, we're driving, uh, we're driving in the car, me and my younger brother, um, and we ended up getting pulled over. And I said, okay, I'm not thinking anything of it. Okay, we we get pulled over. 
Uh, and the police officer, uh, he comes up to me, he says, um, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, I have no idea. He said to me, well, you ran a stop sign back there. I said, okay, I possibly could have. I tend to yield at a stop sign and not all the way stop. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, can, I, can, I, I continued up the street and I said, okay. And then the first question he asked me was, do you have any drugs on you? And I said, okay, I can see where this is going. Um, it probably wasn't about the stop sign. Um, you know, you saw two black guys in a beat up car with dreadlocks and you know, this is, I, I said, okay. And then my dad walks up the street and he's got his camera phone out and then the other officers yelling at him, you know, sir, we're gonna need you to leave. And I said, dad, don't worry about it. I got this. They're gonna waste their time here, I promise you. Um, because I don't, I don't have anything to hide. Uh, and uh, he, he asked me for my ID. I gave him my ID. He asked my brother for his ID as well, which I thought was weird. I didn't know that you can ask a passenger for their ID either. Um, but I said, you know what, just do what the man wants. Give him your ID. Gave him uh, our IDs. Went back to the car, checked everything. Everything was fine. He came back to the car. I said, so is there still a problem? I said, because look, you're wasting your time. I'm a college graduate. My brother just graduated from high school with a 3.5 GPA. I can promise you, you're going to waste your time doing this. He said, do you mind if we search the car? I said, okay. You can search the car. It doesn't matter to me. So we get out the car. He pats me down, searches me. Um, he pats my brother down, searches my brother as well. We're sitting on the curb, and then he walks. Uh, he's going through my car um, looking, and uh, he finds a, uh, a liquor bottle. Uh, and I'll tell you all what type of liquor bottle it was. Um, he finds a liquor bottle in there. So he comes over to us on the curb, and he says, um, the reason why I asked, you all, I asked to search you all was because I smelled liquor. I said, well, that's funny because I just ate 30 crabs. So you don't smell liquor on me. If you smell anything, you smell nothing but Baltimore seafood. That's all you smell on me. The liquor bottle that he found was a Mike Hard's lemonade. So there's only about 6% alcohol in a Mike Hard's lemonade alcohol bottle. So you didn't smell alcohol on me. There was no drugs in the car. You completely wasted your time. Um, and then he got us up. And, and I, the reason why I let him do all of that was because if you doing all of this will get me out of this stop, uh, running that stop sign, I'm okay with that. So, um, he, he, let, he lets us go, uh, he, he lets us go. And then I didn't think about it until, um, and, until about two months, about, about actually about two or three weeks ago, I said to myself, I was talking to my brother, I said, you know what, when that police officer pulled us over, he never asked me for registration, he never asked me for insurance, proof of insurance, he never asked me for any of that. And I said, Why? That's, that's not a routine traffic stop. You know, routine traffic stop is license, registration, proof of insurance. He only asked for my license to see who I was. He never asked for registration. He never asked for proof of insurance. So for me, that was, what, what, what was the purpose of that stop for me? Um, and I, I know it's something that's out there. I'm not going to complain about it. It's not really much that I can do about it. But for me, that traffic stop had more of a meaning to it than I ran a stop sign, which you never ticketed me for, which you never checked any of the verification on my vehicle. So. I think, and I think this is, you know, this is kind of a, a, a similar narrative that we hear in the media. Um, I, I don't think this is probably an uncommon thought that whenever uh, a lot of the, the particular violence that we've seen in the recent months um, have come from things like those types of traffic stops that end up getting out of control. And so, but speaking personally, um, I have no experience with an event like that. And I would guess that the majority of our congregation today have probably never had that experience. I have been pulled over for speeding, and I've had the typical license, registration, proof of insurance, but I never had anybody ever search my car, never accuse me of drinking or any of those types of things. And yet this is something that we see uh, that happens in a narrative when it comes to the black community. Um, 
how, how maybe just give them the mic back or you stole from real too quick. So. <laughs> That's good. How, so these types of events, or maybe if you don't, maybe one of the other would like to, uh, to share. So, so I'm assuming that all three of you would have similar stories of some kind of something like that. How has these types of um, overtly racist um, events shaped you in some way? How, how has that happened? Or how has it shaped you, I should say? Uh, for, for me, it, 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 it honestly made me keep Keep, keep myself aware. Uh, it's one of those things where I, I, I have to be aware that it's out there. I don't want to ever be blind to the fact that it is out there. Uh, I try my best not to believe that everyone is like that because I have police officer friends. I actually played football with one of the police officers that actually uh, are in my town, and he's caught me speeding a couple of times, and he's actually let me go. Uh, he, one of his friends caught me speeding one time, and he pulled up next, and he said, don't worry about him. He's good. Let him go. And so, I mean, there, there, are, there are really good police officers out there, but for me, it's always I don't want to be blind to the fact that it's out there. And one of my biggest things is that I don't want to get into a situation where my pride and my ego is going to end me in a casket. Uh, and so I have to be conscious of that. As, as mad as I want to be, as frustrated as I want to be about it, I can't do something that's going to end, that, that's, that's going, that's going to end bad for me and end me in a particularly bad situation that I can never recover from, that being death. Do either of you guys want to speak to maybe how this has shaped you in your life? To me, it's disappointing, um, and it causes anger, only because um, you're passing judgment based on the color of my skin. Um, you're profiling me based on the color of my skin. You have nothing. You have nothing to know. You don't know anything about me, or it just it makes you aware, but it makes you aware in a place of of um, fear instead of uh, welcoming. So I have to train my sons to how to act because they're black males, and they could be in a vehicle that they couldn't, like Jeff said, can end up in death. So the next question I have prepared, I think, maybe leads into this well. It was. The question is: Is how how does how does black culture then view white people? So, from the perspective of maybe in light of what we just kind of talked about, you sort of you know the society that you live in, um, and it might not just be white, but that's primarily who's in this audience today. Um, many of the police officers, perhaps, you know, are are white. Um, how? How does the black culture, a black community, and maybe you can only speak for yourself personally, but how do, the, how, do, how do you guys view white people in light of the society that you live in? You are aware of the racism that you're subjected to. How does that affect? And so don't hold back here, okay? I mean, I, I don't know what you're going to say, but I think for us, we need to understand because that's the whole reason why we're here. So help us understand what does, what do, does the black community think about white people in general? It's probably a very wide question. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> very general. It's, it's hard to answer that question. The reason I think it's hard to answer it is because for me, I don't, I don't lump color together. Like more or less is you're not a white guy, same as that white guy or that white guy. More or less is I try to build with you on a personal level to where I can get to know you personally. Okay. Doing that kind of helps because then if you practice that every day when you happen to get pulled over by an officer, you can feed off that officer, not his uniform or his color. So how he speaks to you, how he acts you, you can diffuse the situation by how you respond. That's why I was smart what he said, how you know he presented early, I'm a college graduate, my brother is this. So you kind of diffuse the problem earlier, but these are things you have to learn coming up. And me, I'm 41, he's 
almost a whole child younger than me. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just being honest. Like, and I, my two children are here. One is 14, one is 15. So again, hearing him speak and knowing the difference from when I was coming up to when he's coming up to when they're coming up, that's where, like, the divide is, is real serious now because we knew we stayed away from the police. That's just how it was. And, well, a little history of me. I'm from, like, Harlem. I grew up in New York City. I'm not from... Pennsylvania, so we really grew up where it was a lot of tension, but like it was also to where you can approach them. It was also to where you can talk to them, but it was different because in New York, like they have beat walkers, something I don't see here. Okay, like I've never seen an officer outside of their vehicle in the in the town that I have my kids growing up in. So things like that, that's where I can't pretty much answer a question: How do we view the white community? Because to me, it's still like in the community where we're at, we're Uniontown. So we we don't want it to be a black side or a white side. It's we're all doing bad. And the good thing that you spoke on is your socioeconomic status. That's usually your community. Right. So it's, 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 you, it's rare to see people on the same block living in completely different social standards. It's, you rarely see it. So no matter what color you are, if you're in my neighborhood, it's easy for us to connect because you are going through the same things that we're going through. So more or less is I understand what you mean as far as what you see on Lawrence Street as opposed to what you see two, three blocks over. I guess this is a real small place where it can be divided in such a small space to where usually not your whole area is how you are. So it's, it's hard to answer that question because I see y'all as one of us. Well, especially so, if you're in my neighborhood. And I think that's, that's, I mean, that's really the answer that I think all of us are trying to get at here. It, that's the point. For me, I guess the reason I asked this question is because, so I grew up in the, in the Baltimore, Washington area in the suburbs of D.C., and I went to a high school that was um, about 2,000 students, pretty large. My graduating class had 300 people in it. Um, there was um, pretty much every ethnicity that you could imagine there. But the reality was is that the neighborhoods, like you said, were divided out by, by economic status. Um, so, and, and if I could just be blunt with it, it, I grew up in a neighborhood where primarily everybody was you know, relatively wealthy. Now, my family wasn't. We were just pastors in like a wealthy community. But, um, but I know that, that the majority of African-American individuals who came to my school did not live anywhere near the neighborhood that I, that I lived in, and in fact lived more in like apartment buildings, several of them were in project type locations, um, and there weren't a lot of white people in those spaces. There were more Hispanic individuals, there were more Asian individuals, so I guess that's kind of thing. So, so as I grew up, I, there are just, I think, stereotypes, prejudices that develop within your mindset of people who live in different places than you, most of it is probably based on socioeconomic status, you know, because you, the idea, at least from, from, from what I saw growing up, was anybody who lived in that apartment complex listened to this kind of music, drove these kinds of cars, and wore these types of clothes, talked this certain way, and then when I, and we didn't really interact with them very much, but when we would, there was a there was like a, a conflict. There was a tension, like this barrier between between us. And so I guess that's really where the question was coming from. Is like the stereotypes are often seen from from white to black as in oh you just look like a gangster. Like that's that's a stereotype. My question I guess was from the black perspective do do 
do black people look at white people in certain ways that might be unfair as well? I just want to go back to one thing you said. You lived in an area where the majority of people were wealthy, yet your family wasn't. But to the people that lived around you whose status was lower than yours, they still saw you as that. So even though you may have not been the wealthy, you still were treated as such from us. Now, if there was a tension, and I say us meaning of a lower social class, if there's a tension and you live in that area, the tension is automatically like placed on you also, which is wrong. But again, you live in that area, and no matter how you, you feel in your pockets, how you feel about certain people being in your neighborhood or how you feel about being threatened, you share the same thing as the rest of the wealthy people around you, more or less as if your neighborhood kind of dictated how you felt. Not so much really your, your, your money or how much you fit in that level with them, but you still divided from the other social economic class. That's why I say when it comes to race and color, I'm kind of blurred with that because sure. I know it, it does depend on money, where you go to school, where sure. you live, how you're educated, the friends you have. Because I went to, I came from, like I said, from New York, and I went to a school where it was predominantly white where we were the handful of black kids in the school, but we fit in because, not to be funny, we dressed better. We had a little bit more money, so it wasn't about, oh, you're lower than us because you're black. So okay. it was about where you at when it comes to how much money your family has. I think, I think this, is, this is great. Um, so I guess then let's kind of pull it back to so some of the recent events that we've seen with um, you know, police shootings and the anger that's rising up in the nation. We, uh, there's, there's been the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and then we saw the protest in Dallas where they were, uh, where police officers were were shot as well. Where, where does all of that stem from? Like, where, where does, how would you describe it? Is that a race issue? Is that a, is that an economic issue, a socioeconomic issue? Uh, um, help, help us maybe understand, like, from your perspective, where is this coming from? Uh, what's the problem? Like, what, what's the issue? Okay, before, before I answer that, I want to kind of go back to the, uh, to the next one. So uh, to give you, um, because you're, uh, honestly, with us three, uh, you're getting um, not so much the ghetto part of, uh, the ghetto mentality of what the black people, you know, are thinking, um, and you're getting more of the educated part um, of what black people are thinking and what black people are feeling. Um, but I do want to kind of give you uh, a little bit of an idea of what some other black people may be thinking as far as how they see white people. Um, as far as how some black people see white people is they see them as privileged. Uh, and the reason being is because, I'll give you an example, I was just talking to uh, a couple of my uh, girls who are friends of mine about two months ago about when a white, um, I'm sorry, when a, a black woman is dating a white guy versus when a black woman is dating a black guy. And I said to myself, I said, man, that is extremely, that's, that's an extremely good conversation that we were having. And, and the conversation started as this. When a black woman is dating a black guy, she makes, she'll make that black man work ten times harder to prove himself to her because he feels like, because she feels like he has something that he has to prove to me. Okay, his social economic status isn't up to what that of a white person may be. And so he has to prove himself 10 times harder than me. So in order for me to marry you, it's going to be 10 times harder for that to happen. And the difference between a black uh, woman dating a white guy would be he doesn't have to prove himself to me because he's already proven by society. 
And so that was, and, and so when we had that conversation, I said, man, that's a, that's, a, that's a deep conversation and I've never really thought of it. And I've never really looked at it like that. If you, if honestly, if you think about it, I, and then I started looking at my interracial um, re- friends with relationships and I said to myself, I said, man, that is almost always true. And one of the things that my mom told me when I was younger was, you're a black male, you're already born with two strikes. You're black and you're a male. Okay, there are very few people in this world who want to see you do well. And so I took that and I didn't I didn't hear that as my mom being racist. I heard that as my mom saying, you can't afford to mess up. You can't afford to mess up because you're always going to be one step behind. No matter which no matter what you do, you're always going to be one step behind. So I've worked my butt off to get 10 steps ahead of everybody. Okay, I'll never attest to being the smartest book smart person in the world. I'm very common sense smart and I'm very situational smart. Uh, one of my friends always call me uh, a, a chameleon. So I'm one of those people who can fit in in any different environment and I'll adapt to whatever the situation may be. And so I'm able to do that because of my common sense, uh, because of my street smarts, because of a level of book smarts. I'm able to um, mix and mingle with different people. And you and I were talking out there. Uh, I went to school the same place you went to school. Rival schools uh, was his high school and my high school. Um, I, I saw Asians. I saw uh, Span- Hispanics. I saw Africans. I saw Jamaicans. I saw black. I saw white. There was no, I mean, we were all the same. We all dressed alike. There were Asian people with Jordans on, and there were white people with Jordans on. There were Hispanics with Jordans on, with low riders, with rims on the car. So we all dressed alike. And when I came to Waynesburg, it was all white, and I had no idea how to mix and mingle with just an all white school because. It was like where I was from, everybody was the same. We were all the same. And then when I came here, it was like everybody's the same, but they're the same on their level as opposed to the same on my level where I came from. Because we were all in I mean, Montgomery County is one of the richest counties in Maryland. So, you know, we, we were all the same on, on that same level. But when I got to Waynesburg, I had no idea what was going on. I mean, it was an absolute culture shock that you could leave your doors open, leave your windows down in your car, and nothing would be nothing would turn up missing. Uh, so but so then we but we obviously see that that there are problems right and i guess that's the question so where is that coming from because clearly there are places to where everyone can get along i mean we're not literally destroying as a nation and falling apart like we're not all killing each other right now because we hate each other but it is happening in places and it and, and perhaps maybe it's a media issue. Perhaps it's even blown out of proportion. I don't know. That's kind of the, the point here is, like, we're trying to speak to this and try to figure this out, at least in some respect. Like, where is this coming from? Well, um, <clears throat> in regards to where it's coming from, I believe it's people that are in authority that are misusing it. So because they're in that position and they're misusing it, it's causing conflict. And then the media hypes it up and because – They'll show just black men getting killed. They don't show Latinos. They don't show other whites. They don't show anybody of another race getting killed. So they put it in the media, and it's only black men that are losing their life to um, people who are supposed to be trained in authority to how to defuse a situation. A police officer goes through training. They learn how to deal with coping uh, to use deadly force is the last type of force you're supposed to use. The first thing you're supposed to do is say, stop. Verbal, do something. You don't pull your weapon out. So a lot of people that are in authority are misusing it, whether it be a white officer, a black officer, or Hispanic, however it is, the person who is supposed to um, enforce the law in a civil way is misusing it. 
And so I feel that it's, you can't lump law enforcement as one. It's that person in that particular act who has done it. So, um, but I do feel like wrong people are in authority and then social media just blows it sky high and makes it even more, uh, it divides us even even greater. I agree with you 100%. I just gonna take it just as a little bit deeper. He said something about what we represent up here. I feel a lot of times when we have the problem, it's about misunderstanding, like not really knowing what it is you think or more or less fear. Like I sit here and I probably can leave here today and talk with y'all, walk with y'all. Y'all would see me outside and think nothing of it. But if you was to know my story and this is not where you met me, you might have a different reaction. Like these are my sons. My son here in a white shirt, he's known me a year. I went to jail when he was a day old. I did 13 years straight. I came home a different person than the person that left. If y'all met the person that left, you would have a different perspective of me as opposed to the person that's sitting here talking to you. So when he said, as far as you know, education and social class and certain things, it does make a difference, but it's still on a, on a personal level. Like he asked the question, how do we view the white community? The, the question kinda is like flipped around because a lot of times what I see from you is what I get. Like, so it, it's easy for me to gauge how I feel about you or how, you know, how I'm gonna to react towards certain things you say. But when he said, as far as being a chameleon, I can almost fit in any space, but it was a necessity. Sure. It wasn't like I learned this, I'm gonna go out and learn how to be able to fit. No, it was, I had to learn it. Because again, <coughs> a lot of times we're misunderstood. I do understand what she said as far as the wrong people being in authority, but to play devil's advocate, we've kind of placed those type of people in authority because those are the people that had to deal with us on a non-professional level to where we've set the tone on how they think towards us already. So when we have different neighborhoods and our neighborhoods clash, yet in your neighborhood, y'all are the ones that are becoming officers, right, y'all are tired of having y'all's houses broke into or certain things happen. And we understand that a lot of the times it is someone that looks like me or talks like me that does it where the disconnect is I'm not that person. Right. That's where that's where it's hard at. It's for and you to treat me different than that person. And I think uh, I think Jeff, I think you said something about um, the education. You said I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm common sense smart, and and you you worked hard, and your mom told you all that. And I thought to myself, there are also many kids who live in the worst conditions who are also smart, who have good moms and good dads who just, who didn't have even the, the, the resources that you had, who are in worse situations, but don't get to, um, don't get to have the chance or at least have the cards stacked against them to where their smarts and their opportunities are not realized because they weren't, don't have maybe as less resistant of a path as others do. And that's, so what I'm hearing here is, is that race, is is the symptom really it's just it's the easy the thing we can see with our eyes but what the real problem that what i'm hearing stop me if i'm wrong is it's really walls of separation that we build around ourselves our communities our neighborhoods that creates gaps between us that i can't know you if i did know you any of you as a person 
I'm more likely to, to, um, to interact differently with you because now you're a human being with a story versus I see a black guy rolling up with dreadlocks in a beat up car. My mind lumps an entire society together because I don't know you as a person. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? It, it's walls around us? I, I, I went to school in, in prison. That's where I got my degree at. And they, we had a computer lab where you go in there, it's 30 computers, and you're in a room with murderers, drug dealers. Like, it, this is the, the atmosphere. I was in Sing Sing Jail. Like, this room was a big old room with a bunch of, so this white guy used to come in, and he was the tech guy. And he would come in there, and he would clear the room. He didn't want us in there while he would work on the computers, fixing the servers, whatever. And we understood. You don't, you don't know us, you're kind of uncomfortable. We need what you're doing, so we're gonna leave and let you do what you're doing. Well, his whole world got flipped upside down. The school that was sending him in decided they're gonna make him the reentry guy. You're no longer the IT guy. So now, you can't separate yourself from us. So now you have to sit in rooms with us, you have to talk with us, you have to learn our backgrounds, find out what we need when we leave here to have a successful transition back into society. Now you have to get to know us. To watch how uncomfortable he was to sit in that room with us, but after a while to actually know us and to learn us, and not just learn us, to learn our culture to know that when we go home, there's things that we're fighting against that you have no idea. So to watch him learn us and to see his attitude change to where now he comes in to where, excuse me, we used to really not like him because he used to be like, all right, everybody get out. To where now when you come in, you feel warm. Like, Hey, did you get that for me? Were you able to make the phone call? And he's just the interaction where now he sees that, nah, like you are human beings. Just to even start a conversation, that's why this is good. Sometimes it's just a conversation that's needed to be started. It's not so much you have to do this grand thing or right. this, this big, nah, so just talk to me. Get to know me. Get to know how I think, how I feel, how I think about you. Or you don't get to do that. And like I said, age is a big factor in that because I know how I think is different from how he thinks is different from how they think. Sure. So that is like bridging that gap. So not only do you have to bridge the color gap, you also have to bridge like the age gap. So, so something else you said that was interesting to me is that just kind of an anecdote was I'm sure that when that guy's job got switched, a lot of the guys in, in the jail remembered him and how he treated them. And so that kind of set it off on the wrong foot in the first place. But the interesting thing that I saw to that is by the time after uh, overtime, that eroded away and it was able to get better, which I think is really, I think a principle that all of us can apply is like I think I think many of us maybe in the room right now are like I, I don't know where to start and if if I you know maybe I have black friends or people of friends of different ethnicities and maybe I have have kind of like made it awkward over the years and I don't really know what to do and now all of a sudden I come out and I'm trying to like be more like relatable like I'm worried that perhaps uh, that it's not going to go well that they're going to be angry at me or hate me or something and so that this story right there that example that you gave shows me that there is that, that we can all kind of start over so before we kind of get in uh, we're going to we have to wrap up in probably about 15 minutes um, before we get into maybe some specific steps that we could all take to try to bridge this gap um, I wanted to know if there's anybody in the congregation who has a question that they'd like to ask uh, maybe just lift your hand up if there's something that you are interested in knowing anything you could just ask a question anybody at all because I have a couple other questions but 
Um, just wanted to give you a chance to ask if there was something that you wanted. Don't, don't be shy. All right, this content is so good. Do we have one? All right, make sure your mic's on. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Aaron, just to introduce myself to you guys. But uh, one of the things that I really was thinking throughout the week, since I knew that we were doing this today, was... Um, like personally, I don't really feel like it's difficult to connect with um, specifically people that are black. I don't know if it's because I just grew up like playing basketball or just hanging out with people or whatever. But um, so I personally have a couple really close friends even that are black, and I, you know, I love them. I know about them. I know who they are. But sometimes I feel like it's difficult for me to connect with others that I might not know yet. And uh, I don't know if it's because I'm doing something wrong or sometimes I just feel like they don't want to get to know me just because maybe the stereotypes of myself or vice versa, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's just a little bit confusing for me to know like what I can do just to be like, hey, like I want to be friends with you. I want to be open with you, you know, that kind of a thing. So I don't know if there's anything you might be able to touch on to just kind of shed light on what I could do maybe just to make it so that um, they could see, I just want to be friends or like, I just want to connect with people, you know? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you feel that way around new white people you meet? No, not usually. I mean, sometimes I do, but, um, cause you, that sounds like something I would feel around anyone new. Like, how is this person going to, it depends on the setting you're in, Yeah. but I don't think there's anything you can do to make yourself more welcoming. Like, I guess not doing anything would be better. Cause like if you try to do something, it would just seem, yeah, it would just seem awkward. And then that already places an, another wall. Like more or less as walls shoot up so fast, like one comment can shoot up a wall to where it's like, okay, I, I, he just rubs me the wrong way. Where it's like, we're just, but that's not a color thing. That's a personal thing. Because I, man, listen here, me and my own children bump heads and they are, they are me, like my blood. So again, it's not a color thing, it's a personal thing. So any friends you wanna make, just be yourself. If they're gonna be receptive to who you are, y'all are just gonna connect. If not, that's just not a friend I guess you were meant to have. Like, again, we're not meant to be friends with everyone. So I think, I think maybe, and I think that's a great answer, it was a great question. I think um, part of what I've been wondering is, in maybe from, from, from my perspective and from people that I know, um, there seems to be sometimes an, an ultra sensitivity to racist issues. So that's, I think, where maybe some of it comes from. I've thought about this myself, like I said, in this personal journey that I've been on, where I'm trying to think, okay, well, maybe I should start with just trying to build relationships with the black individuals that I do know already, rather than trying to find people that I don't know. Because you're right, you've, if I just walked up to some guy on the street, hey man, you know, and wanted to be your friend, he's like, I don't do that with anybody else, so why would I, you know? Yeah. But if I know, I know, I know that I have like three or four individuals who I actually have communication with. I'm not good friends with them, but they know who I am. I thought if I were to just call him up one day and be like, "Hey, man, do you want to go get lunch?" My fear in my brain is that he's going to go, oh, "Well, there's been a whole bunch of shootings lately, and this is a really big deal in our media right now. The only reason he wants to talk to me is because I'm black, and he's trying to do the right thing." This is what goes through my white brain. If you, I don't know if that's anybody else feels the same way. So I guess that's maybe some of it. How can we, how can anybody get past that? Or, or what you're saying is just don't. Just if you want to have lunch with them, maybe the reason is I do want to try to be intentional about I'm trying to do this the right thing. 
but leave it at that and just be friends. Is that what you're saying? Like, I mean, is it because of the racial tension lately? Because if it is that you're trying, are we having this talk because of all the racial yeah. tension? Like, more or less, is the way you're saying, well, I don't want him to think, but is that really it? Do you genuinely want to be this man's friend? Yes. Because there's, there's black people I don't like. But what I've realized, if, <laughs> so I'm just going to be honest and vulnerable. So what I've realized, though, is and I feel like, I feel like that God has drawn attention to a deficit in my life. So he, I feel like that he has used the, the things that are happening and said, and point, a, point a, like a finger on it and said, this is a problem, and you, Jared, are a part of it in some way, and so here's what I want you to do. Meet people so that you can be a part of the solution to the problem. That's, so, so that gets, I can you know, definitely understand does that. Does that make sense? Especially being who you are. Now, that okay. makes sense because of, right, you're, you're, you have a forum, you have a voice, and you have influence. So that is on you, more or less, is you have a responsibility to try to open up talks like that or to bridge those okay. gaps, especially if you have a congregation that you want to be, like, diverse. When you mentioned that, that's something that they have that I didn't have. Even though I grew up in Manhattan where it's so many different cultures, we still stayed amongst ourselves. I came to Pennsylvania. This was the first time I was around openly interracial relationships, like rampant. That right there was something that was so new to me. So for me, I did my last two years of high school here where my girlfriend lived in New York. I didn't, I went back to see her. That's what I was comfortable with. That's what I knew. The way everything was happening here was so new to me. But now I go to their school to pick them up. There's, and I'm not being fun, there's Fijians, there's Mexicans, there's Guatemalans. Like, it wasn't like that when I went to school. He goes to the same school I went to. So to walk in that building and to hear Spanish when you walk in the door, as opposed to where I was one of five black kids in a school that was all white, to come now and see the opportunity they have, that right there is like the biggest help as far as bridging that gap. These kids learning together, living together, being around each other, and as much as us being adults hate it, the music culture and the social media, no matter how negative it is, there is a positive aspect of it. But as parents and older people of influence, like we have to learn how to push them or, or like guide them a certain way on it, and you can't start it when they're this age because I'm having such a hard time now like, you really have to start it. So right. if you really want to bridge a gap, it's time to start speaking to your, your infants, not even, well, your adolescents. More or less, let them grow up comfortable. Let them have different classes of friends, different races of friends. Like, you have to be more welcoming. Like, anything goes in my mom's house. They don't care who you are, what you look like. You're welcome there. And that's anybody, no matter what you've been through. And I guess that's easy to do when you have children that have been through so much where if people were to really just guide you or push you in the direction they want you to go, like, it, it, you'll never get there. We have a lot going on, in, in, like, in my mom's house. A lot of us have been through so much as far as prison, and that's another thing that's cultural. I, I, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. Like There's way that, too much to really tackle in one yeah, day. Yeah, but so. as, far, as far as us being comfortable with each other and opening talks and being able to live amongst each other in peace and in harmony, it's just a conversation. Like, talk to me talk to her, talk to them, or be receptive to them speaking to you, or be receptive to them asking you questions. Like, don't let a difference, like, create fear. So from a perspective of, of them versus me, so you said, okay, Jared, you've got a forum, you're a pastor, 
How can, how can the average individual sitting in a chair right now do the same thing? Because my guess is there are a few, maybe a bunch of individuals who are hearing this today and saying, okay, wow, Pastor Jared like really felt like God was saying that, and I wasn't aware of it, but now I feel like God's saying the same thing to me. Like, I'm, I need to be a part of this. Not in like some like activist way necessarily, but I go to work downtown at the BNY Mellon building, and I see people who are of different colored skin than me. I feel like I want to be welcoming, and, and I, want to, I, want, you know, I want to do something different than what I have been doing. How do they do that um, when they don't have a microphone? I feel like you should just be intentional. But when I'm saying be intentional, don't be intentional like, oh my gosh, today I'm just going to speak to 10 black people. You know, don't do not do that. I mean, I because if you came... it off my list then, I guess. Yeah, because if you came up to me like that, I'm going to read you. You know, I'm going to know. Because just like Tori said, talk to me and, and get to know me as a person. Open your mouth and speak to me. But don't speak to me with the intention like, I went home and spoke to my first black girl today. You know, that's ridiculous. You know, um, Tori and I are the same age. Jeff could be my child, you know, I always tell him Poor that. Poor Jeff. <laughs> but um, stop fearing what you don't know. That's good. Don't look at the color of my skin and assume that you know me. Because if I was to look and be like that, I grew up in a school where I went to school and there was only 1% of black people and 2,400 kids. And the things that I saw was being honest, nigger suck. Nigger this, nigger that. So if, I, if that was what I was, who I was now, I would like none, nobody, nobody of, of the Caucasian race. You would all feel like KKK, supremacists, because that's what I dealt with. We had those put in our lockers. My brothers had to fight, but they hated him but wanted to date me. So you know how that, that's just like, and you're, we had guns. We would have been the first Columbine if it wasn't for me running to the office and saying, protect my brother. They had weapons, sawed-off shotguns, blows a hole through you. Ninth grader, that's what I grew up seeing. So if it wasn't for the fact of a relationship with God, I'd be a completely different woman. Being a chameleon, what you see here, I can dress and make you think that I have a master's degree. Tori and Jeff went to college, I didn't. But I can speak. I did not let my circumstance dictate who I am. There was a person, when you really want to get to know somebody, mentor somebody learn them. It was a teacher who changed my, my whole entire life. He said something to me I never heard. I was extraordinary, special, and um, intelligent, extraordinary, and beautiful. I had never heard that. I was in eighth grade. Those words I say to myself every day. I'm 41. So if you want to get to know somebody, stop fearing something that you do not know. Fear is nothing but false evidence appearing real. You cannot let your circumstance or the walls that you grew up in stop you from being something better for yourself or for another person. Because I'm looking at my audience, and I'm going to pick on you for a moment. Do you know because she has her hair natural, you people perceive her as something that she's not? And not just saying that's a choice to wear her hair natural. But, but if I wore my hair and extensions are straight, I'm more relatable because I look like you. That's what people say. You know, as a black woman, there's so many times that we have to address ourselves and speak a different way. I, someone told me, why don't you be more empathetic, Sean, like, because you're so confident. Are you serious? Would you tell your counterpart that? Because I'm the only black person in the room, that's what you're going to tell me? I'm too strong? Sorry, I'm not going to dummy it down. So you have, everybody has a story. 
everybody because guess what? Not every white person just has white people in their family, as Tori said, interracial relationships. Most people now have people of color. I don't have all black people in my family. I think I may be one of the few that have black children. All the rest of them are interracial. So it's not what you see. So open your mouth, get to know somebody. When you said you played basketball, I would have never thought you picked up a basketball. See, I made a perception. I was like, yo, he has a skateboard and a book bag. pretty good at it, too. Yeah, you know, that's, that's what I would have said. But I was like, he plays ball, all right. You know, so that's what happens, is that we're, we're judging. That's good. You know, we're, and you don't want to do that. You know, because if you looked at me and I came in a room, I know how to present myself. But if you sat down and heard, I was a law enforcement officer. I mean, a corrections officer in a maximum security um, facility for men. Death row, that was me. I did that. I was the girl that used to, I would bang in a minute. So you're judging something you don't know. Like So being chameleons, unfortunately, we as black people have to be chameleons a lot of times because you can come into a room and be accepted. We have to come into a room and we have to alter or transform into what it is only because we're not accepted so many times. So, yeah. I really appreciate you uh, saying that. Um, if I if I could just say kind of two quick things before we wrap up, one is Shantla is the uh, supervisor mentor uh, for the Family Guidance Lamp program um, that runs. Uh, it's a it's actually a faith based mentoring program that operates in Pittsburgh public schools. Um, some of you already know that I'm one of the mentors at Arsenal here. I mentor a boy named Eric uh, who's in the sixth grade. He'll be in seventh this fall. I've been with him for almost two years now. And I just spend an hour a week with him just hanging out, playing Monopoly. We literally play the same game every week. And he loves it. And um, uh, it, if you – there are so many ways for us to be able to begin this conversation. For some of you, the, the easiest way is you have a coworker or somebody you see on the bus every day or whatever, right? You know, or if you go somewhere and you see the same places and same people are there, that's the most natural space. For some of you, you have off during the day, and you could join me at a school and help me be a part of this mentoring program. Um, and some of you have that that kind of that gift. You love kids, and you would love to be a part of that. Um, Shantla will be here after after service in just a moment. She'd love to talk with you. I'd love to talk to you about it. It's super easy, but we can talk about that. That's why she's here. That's actually how we actually met, and then God kind of orchestrated all this. But the last thing I want to say before we finish today, if I could just preach real quick is that this whole thing that we're talking about here is the gospel in action. What I love about Jesus is that he didn't separate people with walls. In fact, one of the best stories that we see is when Jesus walks, it says he was going to Galilee and he had to walk through Samaria. And so if I could use just modern versions of that, that would be like to get to the south side, I have to walk through the hill district. Like that's that's that that's how I want to get there, how I'm going to go. And I could take a road around it like his disciples suggested, but Jesus said, no, this is where we need to go. And he sits down and he talks to a woman who was of a different race, okay? Samaritans were different. They were hated by the Jewish people. And I see Jesus intentionally engaging in what? Conversation, like you just said. Conversation with somebody who is different. And he was able to offer something. Now, he's Jesus, so he can offer them like the bread of life, the, the living water that never needs, that will never make you thirsty again. But in this case, we carry that same love. And some people, majority of the people we meet probably aren't Christians. And what we do have to offer them is love that we get from our Savior, Jesus. And so 
that's the thing that I love about this. And so some people might be saying, okay, like, I'm not a racist. Like, I like black people. I like Hispanic people. What's the big deal? Why are we talking about this at church? It's because Jesus addressed it in the gospel. The gospel message is about all people having the value of the image of God on their life. And then Jesus Christ died on the cross for every single person, including the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. So that means that as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we are obligated to love people who are hurting, people who are different than us, people who live in different neighborhoods than us, different socioeconomic statuses than us, and to lower ourselves because Jesus said that if you want to follow me, you will take up your cross. You will be a servant. So whether you're rich and you don't know the first thing about a ghetto, our job, any of us, is to lower ourselves to any person who needs it. All right, I'm done preaching. So I hope that uh, I hope that you found this um, this inspiring, maybe even challenging. Um, this is the first of what I hope will be uh, many various conversations that we can have in different forums. Um, you should know that as the pastor of this church and our leadership team and our board of stewards, a uh, board of trustees, we're going to begin the process of just talking about what are some actual real world steps that our church can take to try to be, uh, I don't even want to say more diverse. What I want to do is just how can we build relationships with people who are different than us? And maybe that's white people. Maybe it's Hispanic people. Did you guys know that there's a, a Somalian refugee uh, family? Like there's, like there's like 20 of them living in an apartment in Lawrenceville. Did you know that? I knew that. I didn't know that until I talked to somebody who was in that world. There are people who we need to know and bring the love of Jesus to them. And your church is going to begin this process of just figuring out God, lead us and help us to know what that is. So exciting things coming along. I wanted to say just thank you. Can we thank our panel today for coming and visiting us today? Um, I thought what would be good for us maybe just to close in prayer. I think it would be good for us to seal this off and just to ask the Lord to speak to us in our hearts and to take this with us. Um, Father, Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you, uh, that, you, that you love every one of us equally, that you don't look at any of us, whether we have uh, light skin or dark skin or money or no money or we live in a certain street or not, that every one of us is loved unconditionally by you. Thank you so much. And God, we're just drawing attention to this particular issue. There are so many issues going on around our world with terrorism and, and genocide and, and, and just so many things that are happening in other nations and in this nation. But this is one thing that we just want to say, okay, God, we, we see that you're putting the spotlight right now. Would you speak to our hearts, God? Would you, as we walk out of this place today, um, would you challenge us? Would your Holy Spirit speak deep inside the, the recesses and crevices of our heart? God, would they, uh, would you shed light on areas of our heart that we have stereotype and prejudice or maybe even um, fear of, of the unknown. God, would you bring opportunities this week for us to, to meet people who are different than us, that we could just show your love and your grace and your goodness to all people. God, I pray that as we begin this journey, 
Um, I don't know where it's going to lead us. I'm excited for where this church is going to go as we meet uh, other churches in this neighborhood and as we expand the influence of your kingdom. God, first and foremost, what we want is for people to know the love and the hope and the life and freedom of Jesus Christ. So, uh, God, as we go from this place, help us to keep our hearts open, our eyes on you, and uh, just help us to see opportunities and give us the courage to act upon them. Bless this panel, God, these individuals who came today. Thank you for their honesty, for their openness. Would you bless them, God, and give them even greater influence for your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.